Good morning, Veterinary Rambles. Good morning, Julian. You seem very happy today. I'm very, very happy. That introduction, Julian. Good morning, Veterinary Rambles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get the uh, little jibe there? Because it sounded a bit like Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go straight over to Vietnam, meet up with Will and Tara, who are Western vets working in Vietnam as we speak. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Will, Tara, meet my co-host here, Julian. Hi, Julian. Hi, Tara. Hi, Will. And hello, your little friend in the background. Gosh, she's a bit of a a stunner, isn't she? Absolutely. Nod to Asia, I think. Well, how, how would you describe exactly what you've set up, Will? Uh, no, that's the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, we have three uh, veterinary hospitals right uh, over here, which uh, we do you know, UK quality veterinary medicine, or as close to the same standards as you could expect in, in the UK or the US or the EU. But yeah, over here in Vietnam and Laos, we have a mixture of local vets and international vets. So our vets come from all over the world. We have Taurus from Ireland, they're from the UK. We have other British vets, Australian vets, yeah. European, Spanish. Yeah. yeah. And so we're a companion animal practice. And uh, that's, that's what we've been doing for the last five and a half years. What made you set up a companion animal practice in the first place in in an area that is not actually your hometown? Because someone told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> Good enough reason. Uh, no, so so I came to Southeast Asia um, in 2005 before I was went to vet school, so in my gap year, and I ended up being given a monkey on the street by uh, a random person and uh, that kind of started this journey this process of trying to take this monkey somewhere uh, where it could be looked after and there was nowhere trying to get this monkey a rabies vaccine and there was nowhere that kind of really you know started my interest in you know animal welfare and animals over here really don't have any recourse to any kind of veterinary care and that kind of percolated in my mind while I was at university I came back a few times then I graduated, uh, worked as an equine vet in the UK for just a few months. And then I moved back to Laos uh, to work with an elephant non-profit. Right. Did that for a year and really got to know kind of the country and the limitations on, on access to care. And that was really kind of the, the real starting point, the seed of someone should do something about this part of the world and someone should um, try and bring real quality medicine and veterinary medicine to these markets. All right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a direct correlation there between your equine work, large animal work and elephants. Yeah, uh, so basically, I just wanted to come back to Asia and then I came over here just because there was there were no, there were no jobs for vets in Southeast Asia. The only thing that I could find was a uh, elephant veterinary non-profit role in Laos. Right. Uh, and I did that for a year. We started up a small like elephant hospital. Uh, you know, I got firsthand all the limitations of, of having no medicine, having no equipment, having no funding. And so it just, you know, it, it just expanded from there, really. <laughs> uh, and the, well, no one knows about elephants over in Laos. So uh, I just kind of got on with it and, and gave it <laughs> gave it a go. Wow. Yeah. Julian, didn't you spend some time in Thailand working with elephants? Well, not not, not working with them, no. I, I spent a, a lovely family holiday a couple of years ago, and we were lucky enough to stay in an elephant sanctuary. We, we researched before we went because there are lots of places advertising themselves as elephant sanctuaries, and it turns out that a lot of them aren't really. They're uh, using elephants to perform or to give rides to and things like that and generally mistreating them. But the one we went to uh, was um, widely... Uh, reputed to be uh, an excellent uh, uh, sanctuary, uh, Elephant Hills, actually, in, in Thailand. And uh, we had a fantastic uh, two weeks there. It was amazing. It, sadly, only two weeks. It could have, uh, I could have stayed out there as well for life. In fact, with the pandemic going on, I wish I had. 
not a bad place to be right now. Place, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, yeah. is it is it affecting your lives much at all, or or not? The pandemic. No, I mean day to day. No, it's it's the same here. Just obviously no international travel. Like no no one's been home or anything. Uh, yeah. But our day to day life never really changed. Right. We had three weeks in April, I think, and that was it. Wow. Right. Gosh, yeah. gosh. I think we had three weeks of normalcy in uh, June, yeah. and that was it. Mm, <laughs> it's I can't remember. No one knew much about elephants, you were saying, before you went out. Uh, presumably, I, I, I'm on the BSAVA Publications Committee, and we haven't yet produced the BSAVA Manual of Elephant Medicine and Surgery. Well, you see, it's not a small animal veterinary problem, usually, but how do, you, how do you find out your information? There are resources that you have out there. Uh, there, literature-wise, there are a couple of resources, a couple of books, um, there's some pub publications on, on things. But honestly, a lot of it is anecdotal, and a lot of it is just extrapolating from other veterinary medicines. So you really kind of go back to basics and start with problem solving and basic application of clinical medicine. There's also like a very large body of I, I would say, you know, Asian medicine, so traditional medicine and herbal medicine and, and uh, theories, that really is what dominates the whole Thai and Lao Asian elephant medicine. Hmm. Yeah. So that was quite interesting, but also challenging, right? I, I remember yeah. thinking day one, hey, um, why, why is everyone injecting their elephants? Yes, and presumably not enough. You, you have to inject them with a fair few oranges, wouldn't you, to make a difference if they were actually uh, ascorbic acid deficient. But um, interesting. Presumably, you've got to do lots of multiplications of the doses to try and get something about right. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's 72 tablets of ibuprofen. It all sounds very, very complex to me. So is, is this why you set up a small animal clinic? <laughs> uh, so, so basically, by 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 being there and and being in in Asia, people would contact me and say, "Hey, well, uh, my dog is sick, my cat is sick," and it really brought it home about actually how limited we are and what we can do when we have no equipment, no diagnostics, no medication, and I felt very helpless and and unable to really provide any help, even if I took that pet and went to a local clinic. Mm -hmm. The facilities, the equipment, and everything was, was so lacking that you, you couldn't do anything. Still today, people assume that surgery equals death. Is that right? Because that's their experience mm -hmm. in most clinics. And still today, basically any other vet clinic in Laos or Vietnam, they don't have oxygen, they don't have ISO, they don't have pain relief. That's the kind of level, the general level of veterinary medicine out So, so there's, there's two questions that come immediately from that. One is, is it easy to source material, no. equipment? No. no. So incredibly difficult. How, how do you get hold of it? Can't tell you. Is it Amazon? Uh, exactly. Thames Medical do deliver, I believe, <laughs> don't they, Mike, to, uh, to Vietnam? <laughs> Uh, personally, Mike, Mike will go out there with a suitcase, set it up for you, and uh, I can come along as well, actually. Yeah. I can't yeah. do anything, but I'll come along and help. In answer to your question, so um, it, it comes in via Amazon, does it? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult for us to source. Uh, we, have, we source from UK, uh, from oh. Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, China. Thailand. The amount of medicines that are licensed for companion animal is I can count on one hand. Right. So in that sense, we it, I mean it's it's a freedom and it's a curse, right? So we don't have any cascade, we don't mm -hmm. use any medications, but equally we shouldn't really be using any medication. When you even basic, there's no cat vaccines. Like no cat vaccines, gosh. Yeah. Right. But but the, the other question that, that I was gonna ask was what is the level of care over their pets and concern for the health of their pets? Because my experience in Thailand and Malaysia is that there isn't a huge amount of, of, of care or concern for pets out there. And so I think you've, you've probably got an uphill struggle 
from that respect, haven't you? Uh, so yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. you're you're right. In um, broad strokes, there's still the vast majority of people see animals as uh, utilitarian rather than as companions. But I would say that over the last five years since we started, I've, we've seen an absolutely massive increase yeah. in the uptake of clinical services, veterinary services at our clinics for locals, which I, for me is the most rewarding thing. And, mm. and that's why, why we do what we do. But that's definitely, it's nowhere near as widespread as, as in other more developed countries, but people, people do choose to, to look after their pets. Sure. Gosh, so many questions. How to hone down the next one. Um, my immediate thought was, uh, let me come out and do some soft tissue surgery for you. What do you have in terms of histopathology and basic lab stuff out there? We have, so we have in-house lab. So we have the CT biochem and microscopy. Snap test. Snap test. Yeah. But we don't, there's no uh, histopathology. So everything we export, mm -hmm. either to the UK um, or sometimes to Thai labs, depending on on the client. So that well, that that ironically it pushes some of the the items that we do the price up so much higher than mm. you would have in the UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do, do you do a lot of cytology in a house? Yeah, a lot. Like a lot of our vets, when they come initially, they're not very comfortable with it but we're forced to do it because we're constrained by cost. I mean, it's just not yeah. feasible. And also time as well. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I still do most of my cytology in, my, my, myself. Occasionally I send it off for, uh, for immunofluorescence or other, other tests. But because my background in, in uh, cell biology and microbiology, I, I do have an interest in that. But I've got the luxury of then saying, well, actually, I'm not quite sure what it is. I'll just pop it off and get a, a result back tomorrow. What about things like X-rays? Now, presumably, you're, you're not governed by the Ionizing Radiations Act. Well, we're governed by the like the nuclear department yeah. of Vietnam. So <laughs> about every two years, Tara or I have to go on a three-day training course, all in Vietnamese, in order to get our stamp. Have you been? <laughs> I have the certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is the Vietnamese coming on well? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. no <laughs> and what about getting equipment repaired? I mean, that, that must even yeah, that's, be more difficult. Yeah. We're very self-reliant. So <clears throat> I, guess, I guess like you... Um, we FaceTime with China. Make, yeah, we figure it out. <laughs> right? We tinker or we find somebody who fixes something relatively similar and try and get them to fix it. doesn't it. make it worse. So why, you know, now you're in, you're in Ho Chi Minh City, which to, to a lot of people, um, certainly at our age, we would know as Saigon. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, Unless you've watched Good Morning Vietnam, in which case Roy Williams says, Father Ho Chi Minh Road, Father Ho Chi Minh Road. But most people, as you say, know it as uh, Miss Saigon. Yeah, Miss Saigon City. Miss Saigon City. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Ho Chi Minh Road. I mean, that was that, that took quite a place. But that, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, actually terminated not very far away from Saigon. Mm. Have you actually been to the Coochie Tunnels yet? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's and, and for those those of you who may not be up on your on your history. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is a tunnel network on the outskirts of what was Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, that was home to the, the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. But the tunnels originated during their battle against the, the French, when the French were the, the colonists of the, of the territory. And they, they go on for miles, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, hundreds, hundreds of miles, isn't it? Yeah, because essentially the army lived in these tunnels right under yeah. the noses of the American troops during the Vietnam War. So they they cooked with without smoke. They disguised the, the smoke from the fires. They had hospitals under there, ammunition dumps. They slept, ate, did everything yeah. underground. Right under the nose. It's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, they widened them for us. I, that's exactly what I, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I hear that there are actually now 
modified tunnels for the, the larger Western visitors to enable them to get access into the tunnels. It's the first thing they tell you when you go into the tunnel. Yes. That actually, this is twice the size. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's still pretty tight, isn't it? Exactly. Gosh, yeah. Wow. Imagine, and, and they lived there for years, didn't they? Yeah. Some of them, they had their families there, and uh, gosh. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. You, you, you don't operate in those. You say they have hospitals there. You haven't got a, a branch opened up in one of the tunnels. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Have to get a <laughs> <laughs> are you still treating exotics so moving slightly away from the elephants um snakes monkeys things like that still yeah, yeah no absolutely so again because there's no there's no we, i guess we are the second opinion referral we're the end of the line so we end up with all the bits and pieces that i guess haven't got better by themselves um and that, mm-hmm. that includes like the wildlife and the conservation and the non-profits and the ngos and we do a lot of uh, non-profit work on that on this side of things so everything from uh, bears we had a dental on the bear uh, removing canines we had uh, someone walk in with a tiger uh, sorry walk in with a tiger hang on hang on yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. you you had somebody walk in with a tiger yeah he had diarrhea who the I, I would i would if i was calling it a tiger <laughs> It was quite funny, actually, because it came on a Sunday and I forgot to tell. He stayed overnight and mm-hmm. I forgot to tell the Monday staff that we had a tiger in the clinic. So they came and they opened up the <laughs> case for it. And the tiger was much better. <laughs> right. And they had diarrhea as well, did they? <laughs> so so you, a, a walking tiger. How big was this tiger? Well, I remember Tara phoning me and, and she said, well, you know, it's, it's a tiger, but he said, don't worry about it. It's a cub, but it growls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was being translated as well through loud. So it was like, okay, how long has he been sick? Blah, blah, blah. And then do you have any other tigers? Yes. Are they sick? Yes. How many other tigers do you have? 150. Okay. It's the Tiger King of Laos. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, th- these are like difficult situations, right? I, I always find it ethically because we have to provide care to that animal. Yeah. But then, obviously, we don't know why this guy has a tiger farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all that. So, so you think it could have been for TCM? Do you traditional Chinese medicine? Or, uh, well. There was a guy in the waiting room who had a theory. Yeah. And what was his theory, Tara? He thought he was, uh, yes, yeah, some trader, yeah. some FBI wanted something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how, okay, I mean, you, you, you've raised the question there. How, how do you cope? Because that must cause you a lot of conflict. Uh, personally, I don't think that it's our role or within our, our capacity to police uh, some of these grey areas, mm-hmm. especially in countries where their own law enforcement wouldn't back you up or support you yeah that's the big thing isn't it yeah what can we do i i believe okay we don't support or condone but if you're presented with an animal that is sick and suffering then we are responsible for alleviating that to the best of our abilities Mm -hmm. and leaving the the legalities or the um, gray area out of it I'd rather that they presented an animal for care at the end of the day yeah. um, than, than they never sought out care. Mm. Sure. Well, that, that would be a pretty quick end to your business, wouldn't it, as well, if you were uh, seen to be um, dobbing people into the authorities, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that. Serious people. Yeah, yeah but also there's, there's, it always comes down to things like tail docking, ear cropping, decoring cats. That's all common practice in local clinics. So we are, we don't do any of that. Any of that. Wow. Um, we educate you know, mm-hmm. owners on why we don't do that, and and that's our policy. It's always been our policy, and and, and that's just what, how it is. Some people will, you know listen and are okay, and then some people would say no and go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I think that's an ethical line that um, we need to draw. But equally. To a large degree, um, sometimes I think you know 
they're going somewhere else to have this done where there is no pain relief, mm -hmm. where there is no yeah. anesthesia, where there is no sterility. Yeah. Actually, if you, at the end of the day, what is Sure. Better? It's already fine taking the moral high ground, but what happens to, to the patient sometimes? Yeah. yeah. We've seen them after yeah. many times come in with all infected, awful. Yeah. Mm. So, Tara, getting back to this tiger, if you excuse the obvious pun, did he get to the bottom of the diarrhea? Uh, no, just managed to pop an IV in and uh, rehydrate him. And then, like I said, on Monday morning, he was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And is, is that the most unusual animal you've had in? Oh, we had um, a pangolin for mm -hmm. the ultrasound yeah. uh, a few months ago. For ultrasound? Yeah. yeah. Now, the most perfect animal. So we see a bit of them. So do you have to remove some of the scales to be able to get the probe in or just use a very small uh, uh, window probe? Just unroll them. Yeah. And then on the tummy. So but it's only fur on the tummy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. My, my lack of knowledge of pangolins, though, did, do excuse me. Uh, I know that they almost <laughs> certainly didn't cause COVID, but there we go. There's one more now. There's one Good. more. One more pangolin. Excellent. Well, yeah. hopefully much loved and cared for and, and stands a yeah. chance. No, that was a good story, that one. Yeah, it came mm -hmm. from a conservation place, so. Right. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Be before, I, we'll mention it again later, I'm sure several times, but um, you, you've mentioned on a couple of occasions NGOs and, and non-profit agencies. Presumably, you're in desperate need of, of finances, as are... Uh, anyone who, who does charity work of any sort, how, how can people support you? That's a great question. So we do, internally, we do trap, neuter, release and outreach projects. So mainly focusing on rabies vaccines um, and education ourselves. So we actually do run uh, like a, a charity program on a regular basis. We raise some uh, donations. We've got some from the UK before um, and they actually go really a long way over here. So we often ask people to support us on those. Mm -hmm. And then on the on the other side, we we just use our own resources and we support other NGOs. So that's non-financial support. So we provide uh, our vets, uh, lectures, time. Uh, we recently went and got involved in some more projects here in Vietnam where they don't have the clinical skills or the expertise. So we do a lot of that just um, you know, off our own volition. Sort of outreach. How many, how many vets do you have? 22 in total. How many? Um, 22. 22, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, pretty but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the way we, we operate is that we have the, the lead vets are all international. And then we have local vets in a support. So we call them junior veterinarians. Mm -hmm. uh, we train them, we upskill them. They start from a very low base uh, in terms of their skills and knowledge. And then over around, what, 12 months? Yeah, it takes at least a year. We to bring get them, them up to like vet nurse level. Vet, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So where do, where do they graduate from? The local universities. There's a university in, in Binchen and Lao, there's a university in Ho Chi Minh. Right. But the problem they have is. It's, it's actually, real, this is a real frustration and a real like passion of, of both Tara and mine is in educating the local vets because they really want to do the right thing. They really want to be a vet. They really care about what they're doing. Even ten, five, ten years ago, it was to be a vet here is seen as a pretty lowly job. Mm -hmm. If you can't be a doctor and you can't be an accountant and you can't be in agriculture, then you'll end up being a vet. Oh right, right. Um, and that's that's changing. So now people are choosing to be a, a vet mm -hmm. and choosing companion animal care, which is great. But they don't have uh, lecturers. They don't have textbooks in their own language a lot of the time. They don't have the facilities. So there are some projects like Massey University is doing a project here with uh, Ho Chi Minh University, mm -hmm. which is great. And we basically employ every single graduate from that program. But yeah, they, they're in desperate need of, of upskilling and education and access to resources. 
So it, how long is the course? The, their course at university? Yeah, it's almost six years. And what's lacking then, make, making them so poorly skilled? Is it the resources they're taught with? Yeah, they don't have, like, the foundation. They don't start with, like, physiology, biochemistry, and work up anatomy even. Like, they have no idea. If you ask them, we have, like, a, a, a I don't know, heart failure case or something they can't draw you the heart or explain what is entering and exiting and which one you know they can't they don't comprehend it at all on a basic level they just know that a coughing might have a heart problem and you give these meds and it stops or it might not so they're taught almost didactically to recognize symptoms and treat it's like recipe teaching like yeah you just yeah it comes in looking like this you give this and hopefully it gets better so that's wow. again that that's very similar to I, I believe traditional medicine training in which you're given lists of signs and symptoms and then lists that match those up in terms of, of treatment. Of course, with traditional medicine, there is no physiology. There's there's chi and, and movement of energy and uh, uh, posture and those, those things are important. But but there's no underlying biochemistry or biomechanics to to describe what's going on so i imagine they've just applied that then to the course haven't they yeah sometimes they have some very um random in-depth like um theoretical knowledge mm. uh, for example they might be able to talk to you in very detail about antimicrobial resistance yeah, it's often about to do with um, pathology yeah. yeah but without any uh frame of reference for how does that translate into practice or why does that matter or not? Gosh, that's, that's, yeah, trying to get my mind around how, how that would work. And it's so alien, isn't it, from our uh, our training, our, our years of, of study, which seemed at the time to be semi-logical, uh, if if, uh, if a little bit too heavy on Krebs cycles sometimes. <laughs> Tara, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your story, Tara, if I may, because you you graduated from uh, UCD in yeah. in in Ireland. As you what, know, yeah. wonderful, wonderful college. But you then decided that that was it, and you skedaddled. Yeah, I did five years in uh, mixed practice back home. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't particularly enjoy it. So, right. what did you not enjoy about it? The hours, it was mixed practice, like living in the middle of nowhere, um, yeah. the hours and yeah, no, no input into anything. It was just boring, hated it, basically. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, took a year out and then uh, just, I actually thought that I was going to, that was it, going to come back and do something else. And then I gave it a final shot with this job in Laos. Yeah, but, but tell me a little bit more about this story, because you weren't just sitting there in a coffee bar in Dublin working out what you were going to do next and whether you were going to go back to the college and do anesthesia with Lynn or whether you were going to go back into small animal practice or uh, or, or move over to the, the UK or whatever. You you were off on your travels, weren't you? You were, where were you? South America. Right, whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, all over like Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Colombia. So you'd got your backpack with your, with your shamrock on the back? Yep. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. On your own? No, no. I went with a friend from home. Right. The two of us headed off, wow. yeah. And, uh, wow, that's amazing. Great crap, yeah. Mm. Then ran out of money, though. That was the problem. Ah. So you went from, from cool. South America to Australia? Yeah. Right. And then basically bummed around with some friends out there and uh, ran out of money, so had to... To get a job, I tried every other job except veterinary for a while, and then started applying. Right. So where yeah. where, where were you applying? Uh, in Australia, and then I applied for this job as well. Okay. Do you not have, do you not have to recertify for Australia? I did. Yeah, I recertified in uh, Australia, and then right. uh, well, the plan was to locum there, mm-hmm. but then I also, as I was applying for all those jobs, I applied for this job. So, so, Will, you you advertise you advertise for vets, Australian Vet Times, do you? Actually, we advertise. We're always recruiting. We're right. always hiring. Um, just because we've been growing so much, 
Uh, we advertise on Kookaburra, the website. Okay. Um, has like a, a lot of vet jobs from different countries. Uh, Australia and all of Asia and South America and Europe. Mm -hmm. And actually on, on Facebook, a yeah, lot like, of Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very, it's great. So you're on Facebook every minute of every free time you have? Well, I'm not well, on Facebook. Unfortunately, it's huge over here. So yeah, like a lot of our clients would, that's how they communicate with us and everything. Is it? They give you updates of their pets on, on, the, on Facebook. Yeah, like part of our client communication will be through people sending us Facebook messages or videos or photos, um, refusing to phone us, yeah. only communicating through Facebook. And so, gosh, yeah, that's that's awful, isn't it? Well, it may be good. For, I I just think of it as being awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't speak on there. We have we have our customer service to to talk to them because right. yeah. it's time sink. Yeah, they so start sending photos of things and asking opinions oh. mm -hmm. right so so how much is a facebook consultation then we we don't do facebook consultations <laughs> <laughs> as much as people think we should well i, I was gonna say i mean I, I look at some of the um some of the vet pages on facebook and of course it's full of clients going my dog has and they expect yeah. you to go Da, 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 and give them prescription and everything will be fine mm. and, but very often the the requirement is for god's sake get to the vet now well we get we get the next level up i think we get people uh messaging us here are my x-rays taken at my local vet and the blood tests from this other vet and a photo of the receipt of some injections i got at my third vet and nothing's working can you tell me what's wrong and where can i buy the medicine yeah. Wow. So how do you respond to that? Our vet said it has inflammation of the kidney. Please help. Yeah. I mean, inflammation. Everything <laughs> has kidney stones. I've never seen a genuine kidney stone, I don't think. Um, really? But everything here has kidney stones. Mm -hmm. Can you not get to the source? Find out the person that's, that sowed the seed. That everything has got kidney stones and sort of um, modified. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'll give you a good example. Um, this is a real bugbear of ours. So there's there's no real vet vet board here. Um, a few years ago, literally a few years ago, vets had to register um, on a on a rolling basis. You register every five years, but before then. Uh, it was a bit of a gray area. There were people who actually weren't vets saying they were vets and um, it was all a bit of a mess. It's still a mess, but there's, for example, one clinic around the corner and the vet who runs this clinic, he says that he graduated from the University of Bristol where I graduated. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't. Um, he says that he does laparoscopic space. Endoscopic. Endoscopic, sorry. Endoscopic. End endoscopic. Yeah. That's, that's even trickier because you have to go through the gut to to find the rest of the of the cilium and and then get the ovaries put it back through the hole you've made in the gut yeah even then immediately seal that up get, i don't see how that could be done to be honest and he does endoscopic cat castrates mm. wow beautiful incision <laughs> listen, listen i i think i'm sorry will tara you've you've got the wrong this guy is obviously you should you yeah, that's incredible. We need, we need to speak. Learning. You should be going and learning yeah. some of these techniques because I tell you, I don't think they're working anywhere else in the world or anybody else would even attempt them. This guy's obviously a world leader. It's yeah. A it's, magic. it's magic. So this is, this is your local competition, isn't it? Who, um, yeah. who presumably is, is a lecturer from, from Bristol. We, we, don't, we don't know who he is, but he set himself up as a specialist, a diplomat of uh, internal medicine and surgery is that right yes and i had a, a funny conversation with a, a client of ours and she said to me that we often get asked do you do endoscopic x y and z to which we reply no but nobody does we also ask them like we give them questions to ask him yeah. but i'm not sure that yeah so happens. i said to this one lady um so can you do an endoscopic cat castrate and i said well 
No, there is there is that's not a not a thing. Um, Google it. No. You, be, be, because testicles aren't in the intestines, are they? Unless <laughs> unless they've been eaten by a Frenchman for lunch. <laughs> so off she went with a list of questions for me uh, to this this guy <laughs> and to ask him, you know, to check that he is doing an endoscopic cat castrate. And then she sent this email, rather stroppy email back to, to me um, a few days later, a few weeks later saying, um, yeah. I went there, um, actually uh, she was wrong. What he does is a semi-endoscopic technique for a cat castrate <laughs> and um, I should educate myself. <laughs> All right, okay. Fantastic. Just in case viewers are getting a bit uh, confused by this, uh, we're being, not, not very pedantic, because as, as vets uh, and, and anesthesiologists, we could be a lot more pedantic. But there's a, a huge difference between the terms endoscopic, which means to look inside the intestines, uh, usually using a telescope called an endoscope, and the surgical procedures that we use to, to do uh, ovariectomies and ovariohysterectomies, in other words, spays on bitches, uh, by making a little incision into the abdomen and looking into the cavity of the abdomen. That's called a laparoscopy, uh, and we use a, a laparoscope. And so you'd only use an endoscope to remove an ovary if an ovary was causing an obstruction, having been eaten whole by an animal, and for some reason had, had, had evaded uh, digestion thus far. Yes, you should send this to clients. <laughs> Please send, send it, send it away. I, I hate I hate charlatans of, of any sort. Uh, I had one a few years back. Uh, one of my clients brought in a, a dog that she she brought over from Turkey with her, and uh, it was it was a it was a bitch, and she'd been spayed. And she said, uh, "I'm a bit worried because she she's bleeding." So I had a look, and, and her vulva was swollen. And I said, "Well, I think I think she's probably coming to season." No, no, she's been spayed. So I, I did a progesterone assay and uh, it showed that there was likely uh, ovarian remnants left. So I went in and there was a whole ovary that had been left in. Uh, no, no uterus had been taken out. One of the ovaries had been taken out, but there was a whole ovary left in. So I said to her, you know, I've, I've removed it for you, but whoever, whoever did this operation, uh, I'm afraid, failed to take the other ovary out. She said, oh, that was my brother. He's a vet in Turkey. I was like, oh, gosh, it's embarrassing. Sorry, you know. Uh, I, I have a chat to him. Maybe he owes you some money. And she came in a week later for a post-op check. And she said, oh, I had a chat to my brother. And um, apparently they can regrow. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it for a while. I thought, do I, do I let this rest? It's going to make Christmases very awkward from now on. But I said, look, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how, how close you are to your brother, but no, they really, really never do. <laughs> go, go back and slap him or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. Uh, well, that, that'd be a, a semi-overreaction, wouldn't it? It is a real bugbear of mine. Like, it, it even, you can look him up. Even on his website, he has a University of Bristol logo. Will, Will, uh, get over yourself. You've only studied for five, six years, gone through numerous graduate exams and studied hard and travelled halfway around the world and said, if you're get over yourself. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the harm he's doing to other to animals, isn't it? And and, yeah. and and the heartbreak he's causing to the owners as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, for, for we've me, had awful scenes. Yeah, we've had awful yeah. stories. But for me, really? what really gets me, honestly, he has two prices, right? A two-tiered price structure mm-hmm. for laparoscopic or endoscopic, whatever you, he calls it that day, which is neither, right? Um, but he has a more expensive price for the laparoscopic or endoscopic technique and a cheaper price for the non-laparoscopic or endoscopic technique. So to me, my question is, does that mean that he does a bad job if you don't pay more? Almost certainly. Uses the blunt of his two knives. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Um, yeah, some things I will never understand yeah. over here. I won't. I won't ask you his his name over the airways because uh, I'm always aware of the libel laws. But you, you know who you are if you're watching this. Present yourself to someone in authority for a damn good whipping. And then <laughs> go and jump off a big rock or something. We, we know some regulators, don't we, Julian? Oh, we do. We do. <laughs> Absolutely. And presumably, 
and those those regulators don't don't come round to to Laos or no. Vietnam often. Yeah, but yeah. There's there's no you you have to register every five years, you say. But mm. who actually polices it? Is is there a, a Vietnamese equivalent of the RCVS? Um, well, the vet department. There's the the government vet department. They come and inspect us as a clinic. It, it, it's always a very a surreal situation because the, nothing is licensed, right? So every single time, every year they come and say, oh, how do you run a hospital with no medicine? <laughs> that is a good question. Like one box of frontline on a shelf. Yeah. Like... <laughs> we, we find our ways. We have our yeah. ways. We explain to that when they when they apply for jobs, say, you know, you don't have to worry about being struck off. You don't have to be worried about being sued. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the cascade. You can just be a vet and do good. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, yeah. you know, for us, there's no, when someone Wait, says course. like, you killed my dog, there's no independent third body. You can say, well, no, we didn't. Um, yeah. So, so but, but, but getting back to, to what clients will do. We're always mm-hmm. pushing what people um, want and also what what we can do, right? So we we can do CT MRI. We we send off the images for um, specialists to review. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, in the last five years, it really has increased. It, it really used to be, oh, I just want an injection, and that's it, because you know surgery equals death, um, and that progressed. So now, so then people started taking us up on space and castrates. Then now we would do, you know, uh, mammary strips, dentals, yeah. which were never a thing before people would do, amputation, foreign bodies. Uh, yeah, we're lucky now, but in the beginning it was really, really tough to get anyone yeah. to commit to anything. Yeah. People probably start to say no. Um, I mean, we've done a few, like, uh, myelograms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were and studies regularly now we, we actually we just have a new surgeon joining us who's a french surgeon um so we can offer tplos and um more advanced orthopedic surgeries which we don't mm-hmm. we don't have the facilities for so right. we're adding that we're adding rehab and laser in the next few months so what people are willing to do really is it is it is growing right. which is great yeah great for so we have ultrasound there yeah. Yeah, we have ultrasound, digital X-ray, in-house lab, mm-hmm. um, basically a- everything. I think what we don't have is a toner toner pen. You don't. You don't. Have a pen. So you no. use these shots tonometry. Yeah, we we, we that's the, the the thing that looks like it's out of the dark the ages, Soviet right? Soviet Union looking yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, they're very accurate. If you if you calibrate them and you, and you know how to use them, so you're putting them exactly vertically um, and uh, and using the correct weight on them, the shots tonometer can be very accurate. Huh. But but they are just a little bit um, uh, cumbersome, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I think it's... Not user-friendly. I think we got it out once. Tara and I looked at it and we said, we don't know where to start with this and put it back on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> So you're, now you're based. You're obviously based in Ho Chi Minh City, so that's your main yeah. your main area. But you've got 22 vets, not all working out of the same facility, have you? No. So we have got a clinic in Laos, and you've got a clinic in Thailand. Uh, no. So we have two clinics in in Ho Chi Minh, and right. one now, and we are opening a third one, but this uh, in Hanoi. Right. Uh, in, a, in a couple of months, we just okay. started building. So do you? personally travel around between them or have you got um, right-hand men, ladies, lieutenants that look after those particular places? Tara, there's Tara's job. used to, yeah, but now with COVID. We're stuck. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. So d- just to give listeners who, who perhaps don't have the faintest clue where even Lao is, how far away are all of these from each other? Lao and Vietnam are neighbours. Yeah. It's a four-hour flight. Four, yeah, there's no direct flight, uh, no. so we have to go from Ho Chi Minh to Cambodia, to Phnom Penh, yeah. and then to Vientiane uh, Lao. Yeah. So you're not really doing a morning surgery at one and then popping off to do evening cover and uh, in, in, in the other surgery. Not quite, but we do plan to fly our surgeon around a little bit, yeah. so that he can cover all the bases 
And we have an amazing vet, Eloise, uh, in Laos, who has been manning the fort in COVID. So she's done an amazing yeah. job there. But, Gosh. What made, what made you set up in, in, in Laos as well, then? Um, it seems like a logistical nightmare. And then yeah, yeah. Hanoi as well. You know, that um, be like us setting up an office in, in Berlin. And, oh, why don't we have one in Portugal as well? Yes, you are right. And in hindsight, it's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> so why? Um, so I started in Laos because I knew Laos because I'd been there because there was a desperate need right. for vets. Really desperate. And I believe that if a companion animal clinic can work in Laos, mm-hmm. where it, there really is nothing, um, economically, it's one of the least developed countries, then... then but you know, it's the best country. Yeah, I love and I love yeah. the country. I love the country. Yeah. Um, then there's hope for 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 the concept of animal doctors in a broader field, basically. Um, and that one really took off and went flying after about six months. And so, right. um, but Will, that was very small. Will does speak loud fluently. Oh, do you? Yeah. Not very useful language, I have to admit. But. Well, it's like a secret language, though. <laughs> it is like a secret language. <laughs> because it's not spoken outside of Laos at all, really, is it? No. <laughs> Barely spoken in Laos, to be honest. Is it... Um, I'm going to get my, my facts wrong here, I'm sure, because I, I often do, but uh, the, the written language is based on another Asian language, isn't it? Yes. Uh, so both written and spoken Lao is very, very close to Thai. Right. But but not close enough to understand. Uh, all Lao people will speak and understand Thai. I uh, would understand fifty percent of Thai. So for me, it's not that close, but it's close enough. Right. Right. Okay. They no written language of their own, right? Until no, no Lao did. Oh, did. Is the the Hmong had oh. no written language of their own. And if you, if you ever want to see something which blows your mind. Hmong writing is incredible. So the, the Hmong were, um, they're like a tribe, an ethnic minority, who went, helped the CIA and America in the, in the Vietnamese War against the yeah. and now as well. And so they had no written language. When they moved to the US when, after the war, they created a written language. And oh, the way wow. They, is is amazing. I don't know how you would even start um, to pronounce that. Gosh, that's great! But it, it almost looks like uh, some cleverly contrived code, which I, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they, they've actually used a lot of the Latin alphabet and just turned the letters upside down and put little twirls on them. <laughs> yeah, and and like they have, um, you know, H, H, Z, F, Y. I mean, like how how do you say? Um, so this is this is interesting. Um, I've just noticed that um, they they talk about the Hmong language originating in the city of uh, or, or the the dialect of Palava, and that's where we get our word Palava yeah. complex oh. from, isn't it? Yes. So it's it's overly complex. What a Palava! Very clever stuff. Very clever. You were saying earlier that you. A lot of the time you spend yeah. teaching up your, your assistants and uh, teaching uh, and lecturing elsewhere. Are you, are you geared up to, to do a little bit of teaching for us today? You'll you, you have heard of this thing that we do about now on the show called the, the 60 Second CPD Challenge. Would you be up to do one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Okay, so what's your chosen subject for today? Then? Uh, stop that elephant. All right, so, so Dr. Will Thomas... 60 second CPD on stop that elephant starting now. So um, I thought I'd give us some tips on the chemical restraint of Asian bull elephants in musk when we need to stop them rampaging. And I learned this firsthand. So Asian elephants are actually very sensitive to alpha two agonists when you compare them to African elephants. And the most commonly used sedative we use in Asia is either xylazine or metatomidine. And we give it IM in the shoulder, either by hand with an injection or by dart, bit depending on the situation. 
uh, you need to make sure that you'll be using a needle that is at least two inches long because their skin can be up to three inches thick. We also don't have the luxury of scales, so we have to guesstimate the weight. Most Asian bulls are 3,000 kilos, and I have really good outcomes using straight xylazine. For a bull in must, I'd start with around 500 milligrams in the first dose, and then I'd give another 200 milligrams after 12 minutes if it's not sedated. The duration of effect is longer than in a horse, um, and usually they stay sedated for around one hour. There you go. Perfect. I had another, I had, a, I had a punchline, but I didn't get there. Oh, <laughs> go, no. go on, go on, go on, say the punchline. What's the punchline? What's the punchline, Will? Oh, it's just to make sure that you're not wearing flip-flops because they can stand on your feet. <laughs> a lot of photos of us in a flip-flops. Lot, a lot of experience <laughs> with that. Worth adding, worth adding that. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we could add that. That was very good. Mm, that was so good. That was an amazing bit of CPD. Mm, thank you very much. And uh, I think... I think it's worthy of a of a certificate, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, even though these guys aren't governed by the uh, the RCPS, a lot of our listeners are. Yeah. And um, so, so having having received some superb CPD there, we, we really ought to have a certificate to. We ought to. Oh, we, oh, we, we, oh we, we can't do it just yet, though, can we? Why? Why is that? We can't. We can't just have CPD. It's not a little passive thing, is it? It's active. So we need to uh, do other things other than just listen to 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 a, a lecture. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to, you know, do what the RCBS wants us to do. We've got to, we've got to reflect. Right. Yeah. Okay, if I can invite Tara and, and Will to, to join us in a moment's reflection on the CPD that we've received today, and um, well, we want it to qualify for, for race points yeah. and yeah. CBS yeah. CPD. So, so can you join us in a moment's reflection on the CPD from today? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, then. So, I'm reflected. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. That, that was a big now. piece of reflection because elephants are big. They are. They are. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. So huge. it's important. It's important that we did big reflection. Mm. Come on, I want the certificate. I want the certificate. What certificate? Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> wow. There's an elephant. So let's talk you through this. It says, "Good morning, veterinary ramblings," and then it says. This certifies that you cool dudes are now even slightly cooler despite the heat and know lots about elephants. Uh, it's signed Ho Chi Me and Ho Chi Him, Mike and Julian. <laughs> and we got there, we got uh, some orchids there, native to, uh, to Vietnam. A lotus? Uh, uh, orchids. All right. Orchids. Um, these are these are the little elephants I met in uh, in, in Thailand, uh, and this is a giant clam that I also met in Thailand. That's pretty nice. It's one of the most beautiful pictures I've got. Uh, and they were some bugs that I ate in Thailand. Uh, there were some grasshoppers and um, could have been maggot eggs or something. Or maggot were they? Were they chili? Were they, were they yeah. in chili? Yeah, yeah they were. They were really nice, actually. I think they're really crunchy. I like the crunch you get. I'm yeah. allergic to those, those uh, maggots. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Or, 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 or what they put on it? Uh, no, the, the head of the maggot. Specifically. You've whittled it down to just the head of the maggot. Yes. And you, you've done this by what? Gently nibbling down the length. <laughs> you've got to the head and you're oh, I'm allergic to that yeah, well, sometimes they keep them without the head and sometimes they make them with the head and when right. they don't have the head I was fine and when they do have the head I want to rip my skin off is that not Gosh. like going is that not like going to a McDonald's and saying no tomato ketchup please yeah yeah I just I just don't don't go near maggots anymore do you, there are other pupated insects available aren't there so so we, we've also got um now there, this is what we saw on sale in uh, in Thailand. This is um, birds' nests. Uh, uh, yeah. Traditional uh, medicine. It's a, I believe it's a type of starling, isn't it? Uh, that, that that they collect the nests of, and as a result of which, uh, a lot of these starlings are becoming extinct. Um, so, people, if you if you want to to have some traditional medicine uh, in the form of uh, uh, of endangered animals, then Please join.
join uh, Will and Tara's friend down the road for a good old whipping because they don't work and you're just ruining the world. So thank you. Uh, and this is one part of the beautiful world that you're ruining. Uh, and these are, uh, well, you know what these are? These are Hello. corals. Corals? Oh. Yeah. So these are the little animals that form corals. Oh. And we were, we were lucky enough in, in, uh, in Thailand to, to be near a coral reef and, and uh, looked at these wonderful, beautiful living corals. Uh, a few days later, we went to another beach, which was rather more polluted, and saw the, the bleached, uh, dead corals there. Really awful sight. So all that is leading up to, to me saying a huge, absolutely huge thank you to, to you and to you, Tara. Not, not just for coming on Beckham and Ramu, so we'll, we'll thank you formally for that in a minute, but thank you for your contribution to helping the, the world in which you live. Uh, we, we really, I think both Mike and myself, uh, can't tell you enough how much we, we would support the work you're doing there, especially the re-education in that area, because I think it's, it's long overdue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. We forgot to do a joke. Oh, oh, and I've got a good one too. Okay. <laughs> I'm laughing, not not because not because of the joke, but because I said I've got a good one. Now Mike knows that's never true. <laughs> my, my my jokes are utter crap, but I do enjoy telling them. Um and, and I'd started off by by um thinking of a joke that I now won't tell because you're telling me about people who want diagnoses uh, over Facebook or saying, my friend's dog was diagnosed with this. Reminding me of a joke that Woody Allen used to tell. Presumably he still does, as far as I know, he's still alive. Um, but he, he told yeah, he does these, these little stand-up uh, comedy acts, telling an anecdotes and things. And he said he's got a friend, uh, and Eggs Benedict is the name he normally comes up with. My friend Eggs Benedict. Uh, he said, I, I, had this, I had this pain in my chest. It was keeping me up at night. And I thought, well, should I go to the doctor? And I thought, well, the doctor's going to charge me $50 just to look at me and tell me it's indigestion or something. So I shouldn't go, but maybe it's something serious. And then he found out that his friend, Eggs Benedict, had the same thing. It was keeping me awake at night. It's pain in the chest. So he said to Eggs, you should go and see the doctor. And Eggs Benedict went to see the doctor. And then uh, Woody Allen said to him, what, uh, what was it? So he, he charged me $250. He's done loads of tests, things and x-rays, and it's bloody indigestion. Oh, well, thank, thank goodness it's uh, nothing serious, said Woody Allen. And he goes out and buys himself a packet of rennies and thinks, hey, I saved 350 quid or $350. And a few days later, he phones, bed, for, uh, phones Eggs Benedict and says, do you fancy coming out for a drink? And his wife answers and he says, is Eggs around? And she said, no. He died yesterday. Um, quick as a flash, Woody hangs up the phone, rushes out to the doctors, pays $1,000 on getting a CT scan, full bloods, intel, everything he can. And the doctor says, it's nothing. It's fine. You've just got indigestion. So furious, he goes home, phones ex-Benedict's widow and says, what did he die of? Was it slow and painful? She said, no, he was hit by a bus. He was killed instantly. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> Saves me the elephant joke, then, doesn't it? Yeah. Which it's one's that? Expected. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? The, the joke? Why do elephants paint their toenails? So, so they can hide in cherry trees. <laughs> Have you ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? No. Because it works, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, male elephants, of course, paint their testicles pink and hide in cherry trees. Do they? Do you know what the most uh, loudest noise in the jungle is? <laughs> cherry picking. <laughs> I, shall, I shall raise an empty glass, but it will have whiskey in it later. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, a wine there. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so you got oh look at that! Look at that! Oh, okay. Well, in, in that case, then you could say a big, big thank you from Bentley Ramblings to uh, to Tara and Will. Thank you so much indeed for for joining us and filling us in on all the information that you have done. 
It's been an absolutely fascinating chat with you and uh, I'd like to catch up with you and follow your, your exploits as you move forwards. And just remember, listeners, viewers, if you like what you've seen, click like, share, follow, tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify, iTunes, um, podcasts, Facebook, YouTube, the whole work. So uh, click like, follow, share, subscribe and stay in touch with us and uh, people like Will and Tara on their journeys. So no further ado, from Veterinary Ramblings, may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Thank you. Big cheers. Empty. And cut. Have you enjoyed yourselves, guys? Yes, very good. Thank you. Hopefully it wasn't too dry. No, not at all. How could it be dry? My goodness me, do I have tigers with diarrhea and uh, and a guy... Uh, a Vietnamese guy pretended to be from Bristol doing endoscopic cat gastrates. I mean, jeez. I can't believe it. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff.